Um, Steve, actually, he wasn't a good marketer. I think the marketing genius was unintentional. I think knowing your customer more than anything is probably good. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? Hi leaders, welcome to another episode of Access Genie, the podcast that opens the doors to success in the world of entrepreneurship. We're coming to you live from the Cliffside Boutique Getaway, a spectacular secluded getaway for business and pleasure right in the heart of North Cliff. My name is Ansula Numbeo and today we're joined by Mushambi Mutuma who is an author, speaker, and a tech leader with over 15 years experience building brands and businesses across Africa and the United States. If you haven't read his book, Tech Adjacent, this is a conversation that will change your entire perspective about entrepreneurship and your life, and you'd want to get your hands on it. So, Mutambi Mushamba, welcome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for, for being here with us. And I've been following you for a while on mm. social media and LinkedIn in particular, trying yes. to learn about you. And I feel like your perspective over the years has really evolved and changed, not just around tech, but the way in which you see Africa and you see leadership and yeah. how you view how people lead and show up in spaces. And one thing that I read on your Instagram that was so amazing, which is a story that I think every one of you want <laughs> to learn and hear about, is how you were able to meet Steve Jobs at just 12 years old. Yeah. How was that experience like for you? Oh, <laughs> uh, you're taking me back. Um, well, firstly, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, an absolute pleasure to be here and be part of this conversation and what you're building. So mm -hmm. kudos. Um, Steve, yeah. So my dad, growing up from about 1994, worked at Apple, and that time Apple Computer. And um, twice a year, there were two trips that were guaranteed that I could miss school to go on with my father. And it was the um, Macworld Summit, which was like a big software summit. And then there was the WWDC, which is like Apple's big conference. And in 98, um, Steve was there. And... Mm -hmm. uh, it was a, a much younger, uh, nerdier version mm -hmm. of me trying to wear black turtlenecks. Um, and I think I was literally the only kid uh, in New York at the time at the conference. And uh, Steve saw me uh, and, and all the people there after he announced the new IMAX at the time and the different colors or, or rather the different flavors. And, um, and yeah, I cried. <laughs> I was 12. I met my hero. It wasn't gangster, but uh, it was a great experience just being able to see and meet such an impactful person. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, yeah, that resonated and kind of stayed with me in all my years. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like Steve Jobs has inspired many people. Yeah. Um, one of the people that comes top of mind is who shall not be named who is currently serving time. She was wearing turtleneck <laughs> in the healthcare space. If you follow yes, business, yes. you know who I'm, I'm talking about. But yes. outside of that, I feel like he's really inspired a lot of entrepreneurs like you and myself yeah. because of the kind of business and product he was able to create during his time yeah. and how he moved. And for me, it's just the marketing strategy. Yeah, Just being able to have people 
come out night or day in queue for a product that you're going to release. It's yeah. not the only product in the market. There's yeah. versions of it. Yeah. But because they want that particular product, yeah. it's really impressive. And I think he was a marketing genius in his own nerdy way. Yes. That really, really worked. And I think we've seen that, I think, in the entertainment landscape that's the michael jackson effect that that some people would talk about what are some of those key lessons that you learned from steve jobs from meeting him through your father working for the company and your experience yeah i think that um steve actually he wasn't a good marketer i think the marketing genius was unintentional i think what he entrenched into apple at the time was experience right and he was uh incredibly detailed to put it Mm -hmm. in a pc manner about what would go into developing a product and the experience around it right Mm -hmm. back to even what the chips in the phone or the device would look like even though no one would ever open it but if you cracked open your iphone now you would see everything so clearly laid out because he wanted everything to be beautiful he wanted everything to have kind of seamless interaction and i think that Um, is at the heart of, of course, any marketing, Mm -hmm. but creating any product of value, right? Is that making sure that, yeah, it functions. Yes, it helps your life and is a computer Mm -hmm. or is a device, but how does it add additional value? Like, how is your experience with going through it? Is it as seamless as possible? Is it beautiful? And I think those aesthetic elements um, carried through to the brand side, which helped the brand grow and become so loved. But I think the other thing is that it created a complete culture, right? If you're an Apple person, you're an Apple person through and through, Yeah. right? Uh, you, you don't switch between the brands, right? The other brand, you don't, you would never even consider, no matter how great the camera might be or whatever, you would never even consider it because you're in love with all the experiences and touch points that have been created around this ease of a product. And I think that um, he was very detail-oriented about driving that with his team. And what Apple as a whole was able to do was build that culture. And I think that's what leadership is about. I think there's an experience side, there's a brand side, there's a marketing side, but then there's a culture element that I think is, is completely priceless. If you can do that right, and so many other brands have tried to replicate that over the years, but I don't think anybody has hacked it as well as and successful as Apple did. Which one is most important? I think knowing your customer is probably one of the most important, right? Um, because I think what Apple and great brands do is they know kind of in advance of what they want to give you, right? They know you better kind of than you know yourself. And I think when you're able to do that, you will always constantly add value. But you have to have that knowledge first. You can't just say, I think you're going to love this. No, you got to tell me why. Because you've embedded it in my life. Because all my other devices are the same. Because um, I love the aesthetic part of it. I love being able to say I'm an mm-hmm. Apple person, right? They've mapped out that persona so well that, building features into it is a lot easier. So I think knowing your customer more than anything is probably the, the And that's the really interesting. I'm, I'm thinking now from a perspective of a, an entrepreneur, I'd like to think of myself as a tech entrepreneur. And I yeah. think that uh, distinction is something that we also need to really work on because if I'm online and I've got an app and does that make me a tech entrepreneur or am I an FMCG entrepreneur, whatever it is. But what's interesting for me as you're speaking is how you differentiate yourself from the market or 
other offerings rather yeah. within the market and how important that is. So if you see what Apple did, they came into a space where BlackBerry was king. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. And yeah. everybody wanted BDM. That's all we wanted. Yeah. Wanted the keyboard there. And then they had to now rethink how we want to use a product. And that's it revolutionize the the space so yeah, for uh, sure. so how do you feel how do you suggest entrepreneurs think about those spaces and changing um environments when they come into your space yeah well it's chicken and egg right is because i remember when the first iphone started right um, I, at the time, thought of myself as a young entrepreneur, and I'm thinking, you know, business, what do I need apps for? I got email, I got my calendar, I've got messaging, what do I need anything else for? And Apple trying to sell the app narrative, right? And, and my first business in trying to sell apps and develop mobile applications, people were like, what for? They didn't believe in it. So I think there's a little bit of a chicken and egg scenarios that it didn't happen in, immediately. Even with those who are beloved Apple fans like myself, that conversion didn't happen. So I think as an entrepreneur, it's tricky because timing in a market is key to take hold of that. But I think transforming it in the way Apple did, I think you got to have a lot more brand power. You got to mm -hmm. have some runway um, mm -hmm. and you, you have to have a real strategy. But I think that taking advantage of timing is key. And that's what entrepreneurs can probably learn is mm -hmm. that our goal in society is to be the ones that push things a little bit mm -hmm. further. Right. Yeah. And if you can take that home, then there's some value. What pivotal moments in your life shaped your understanding of the tech industry in itself? If you could tell me a yeah. story of that particular <laughs> moment where everything changed. Yeah, I think it's always been an evolution. I don't know if there's one moment, right? Because, you know, like I said, growing up, my dad, he brought home devices every day. I got to play with the new Apple toys that came out. A lot of them that just bombed out completely in the market that didn't do very well. Um, so it was always something that I was just playing with. It was it was something that I was always engaging and experimenting with. Mm -hmm. And I think that continued kind of throughout uh, even my adult years. And I think that what happened that maybe probably transformed is in the business sense is when we started building out, um, you know, applications and e-commerce sites at scale. When we first started in business, uh, and that business started about 2010, We'd walk into a client and say, this is what we can do for you. And mm -hmm. the question was like, but why? Mm -hmm. Right. These iPads, they only exist in, in business class lounges. No one else will use them and buy them. And a couple of years went by where all those clients started coming back and calling us and saying, hey, you pitched this two, three years ago. Can you do it now? And I think when that happened, I saw that, you know what, people have really taken a hold of this thing and there's there's movement that is, that's about to happen. And that was kind of 2013, 2014 when the business really started to ramp up. Mm. Yeah. And entrepreneurship in itself is very uncomfortable. Yeah. It might look glamorous <laughs> from the outside yeah. because this person manages their time they get to do what they want when they want yeah. you really don't right. Not at all. <laughs> but, but from the outside it feels like you can do what you want when you want to do yeah. it however the true story inside is that it's lonely yeah. it's uncomfortable yeah. it's high pressure yeah, it's yeah. full of 
responsibilities, not just for yourself, but your team and yeah. their families and yeah. their extended families yeah. coming from the cultural background that we come from. That's and up. in addition to that, you just feel a lot of anxiety and stress. Every month end, you're just stressed out because yeah. the bottom line really just yeah. matters to, to everybody. And I know that you used to box. <laughs> and I was just thinking yeah. about how uncomfortable boxing is because I've yeah. tried it before and it felt really uncomfortable because it's just getting comfortable with somebody punching your face yeah which is your most prized <laughs> position That's on it. your body That's it. and that effect of being comfortable with such discomfort yeah. as as boxing is huge yeah. how do you get comfortable with discomfort in boxing and yeah. even in business because those two really share a lot of similarities no, they, between them. They really do. And that's a great question. <laughs> and yeah, that was a few kgs ago, right? <laughs> um, no, I think one of my favorite quotes uh, and I think one of the greatest disruptors of all time, Mike Tyson, right? Um, great fighter, but a great disruptor. And he says, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, mm -hmm. right? You can train, you can train, you can train. You can love what you do. Um, but once you get in that ring and something hits you, once you get in that ring and a client doesn't pay in time or you make a mistake or your team doesn't perform or you lose money, it's the same thing, right? You can have all these plans and then you get punched in the face. And that's a little violent and crude. But I think for me, um, that's what entrepreneurship is about. It's what you said. It's about being uncomfortable with uh, the pain and the discomfort. I think out of that is where growth happens, right? Mm -hmm. um, growth doesn't happen in a completely comfortable environment, even in nature. It has to break through something. And I think um, entrepreneurship is about getting used to that, right? No matter if you've got 10,000 in the bank or you've got 10 million, the stress is the same. It doesn't go anywhere. The 25th is the 25th. Mm -hmm. Even when you know you can pay salaries, it, it's still there, right? And um, and I think it's getting used to the reality of that, is that this thing is going to continue to push you and make you sweat, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you're Bill Gates and you've got a billion in the bank, like you're going to have a different different challenges, right? And, and bigger ones, but challenges always still remain with kind of each phase of business. And once you can get used to that, the better. If you're getting into it because you want to have lunches at uh, Tasha's all day long and endless cocktails and control your time, then it's not for, for you. Um, this space is built for people that have grit, um, that are okay with discomfort, that have a bigger vision in mind and something that they want to achieve. There's probably a lot easier ways to make money than entrepreneurship, right? I always tell people like, you want to do this? Okay, cool. Give me 10 years without making a single cent. Can you do that? And most people can't. And that's usually the reality. The most successful people I know, people that are doing well, most of them, it took 8 to 10 or 12 years of not making anything, much less, you know, making something small, but not making anything before things really started to take off. And I think that's kind of the pain that this thing requires. And then even then, after 10 years, after 12 years, it could still crash and burn and you get nothing to show for it. And you have to be okay with that kind of reality. If you want predictability, if you want to know how much money you're going to make, stay at, at your job <laughs> because it will give you that. And it will give you a path to grow. And I think we have to also be okay with that. I, for one, cannot hate, uh, stand the sight of blood. 
Uh, and I don't really like math. So I could never be a doctor. I could never be an engineer. And no one is telling me I must do those things. So I think the other reality is not everyone is meant for the burden and the pain and the risk of entrepreneurship. Not everyone's cut the same way. Yeah, and it's okay. And what kind of mindset shift is required for somebody to make it in entrepreneurship? Because as an entrepreneur myself, I find it a brain and mentality game yeah. because yeah. it's somebody who has a degree for example myself i know i've got a degree in journalism i've got a postgraduate degree in journalism i can pick up a phone and call whatever media agencies and i've got a job because i've yes. got a proven track record yeah. on what i can do within the journalism space that's easier right yeah, my yeah. paycheck every single month yeah. is set and yeah. i know it's there however on the entrepreneurship side it doesn't count yeah. because my mindset now has to shift. Fine, I'm this great journalist, but entrepreneurship is a yeah. different ballgame. What kind of mindset shift have you had to go through in your life yeah. to change your perspective from being employed and being great at what you do, which is one thing to being great at entrepreneurship? Because yeah. Being great in entrepreneurship as a startup means being great at everything. Yeah. Being great at cle cleaning, yeah. set management, yeah. photography, yeah. content creation, everything. marketing, HR. You're great at everything. Yeah. yeah, And that's the thing is that you have to be willing to kind of take that step back, right? You have to be willing to have that some of that humility. Is that, you know, in the employed world, you'd be seen as this big person. And uh, you got to take those humble cues because in entrepreneurship, in small businesses, like you said, you do everything. You have to be the jack of all trades. You have to know everything and be willing to get your hands dirty. And even if your team grows, they still have to see that and feel that, right? So I think for me, it's about grit. It's about the effort. It's about the pain. It's about patience. Um, there's so many elements that have to kind of remain in order to be able to survive the long haul. Otherwise you won't. If you're in it for comfort, if you're in it for just making money, um, it's not sustainable. You mm -hmm. might make a little bit of money for a short period of time, um, but many come and go, right? Um, and I think for me, the, the biggest elements are those people that can build up that grit and resilience. Yeah. Right? And it's a muscle. You have to train it, just like you would try to go to the gym or try to lose some weight. Is it something that you have to train on a daily basis? You don't get it on day one of entrepreneurship. Um, and I think the other element is paying your dues, right? Um, like I said, sometimes it's 10 years to make some money, but it's also 10 years to become an SME, become this, this subject matter expert, to know what you're talking about. Um, we were speaking about speaking off camera for a bit. And, you know, before you can go and advise other people what to do, you got to know what you're doing and you have to have skin in the game um, and you have to trust that process. A lot of people, especially young people, they think just because I have that degree or had a couple years of employment that I'm the best at doing all of this and I'm going to be the best at entrepreneurship. And it's like, no, slow down. You got you to gotta earn your stripes, right? You got to pay your dues and it happens over time. Sure, there's value, but I think that entrepreneurship will show you another level of patience. It really would. Yeah, it really would. And, yeah. and talking about tech yeah. in, in particular, I find your space really fascinating and when I was just thinking around tech and the impact that tech has in the world, yeah. I was like, is tech becoming the third superpower <laughs> in the world? Yeah. Because when you think about it in recent years, Donald Trump, mm. a certain president as the, at the time, yes. was taken off Twitter. Yeah. yeah. And tech 
made that decision. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And when the war between Ukraine and Russia happened, yeah. we saw companies come yeah. together or decide individually yes. to say something and make a worldly, a bigger impact than any government could make. For example, Airbnb yeah. Yeah. by providing accommodation for people from Ukraine yes. in Poland for free so right. that they can literally play a role. And Ian Bremer has been the biggest voice in the space where he says tech has become a huge dead superpower. And that can sound scary to other people. And to some, it could sound empowering because you feel like you also have a chance to say something compared to government. Do you think Ian Bremer is right and tech is a third superpower? I I would definitely agree. And I'd say that, and and fastly rising, right? And I think for a couple of reasons. I think access, right? Um, Everybody has a voice. A couple of years ago, even a decade ago, maybe longer, it would be impossible for you to email and message and get through to a CEO and tell them about how you were unhappy about your experience with their product or service. Right now, you could do that with any brand on earth and they will likely respond <laughs> within a few moments, right? And I think that level of access and um, I guess democratization for everybody to be able to get into a space and have a voice is incredible, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't have that previously. Um, people didn't have, they couldn't access that information or those key people. And I think that's what tech has now opened up. Then from an influence standpoint, I think this is where we have to be careful because I think tech also powers what we're influenced by. I was speaking just yesterday um, about the algorithms, right? And the power thereof and the power of algorithms in all our key platforms. You mentioned Twitter or X or, uh, or YouTube or TikTok. All of our experiences are created so much on our on what, we, what we've done, our behavior, but also what they want to feed us, right? You mentioned Donald Trump. Um, he was removed from Twitter, but also a key element, arguably, to his presidency was technology to even get into office, right? And to give influence and to have voices and, uh, I guess, um, creatively sway people to even voting for him and, and that particular movement. So I think that in itself shows you the power of technology on a global scale is that it's already happening. It's already there. Um, people are using it for good and for bad and for just pure influence. So I think it's a, it's a necessity. But I think the other thing to, 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 to understand is that technology is also just a tool, right? Um, tech has always existed. We're in this big tech and hyper tech phase, but down to the cavemen and to our ancestors, using a pick and a hammer was technology, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the wheel was a technology. Using certain tools in farming were all technology. So it continues to evolve because as humans, we continue to evolve. So yeah. uh, it'll, it'll continue to be a big element mm-hmm. and that superpower that you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. For sure. But you know what? With tech, I find the algorithms that mm. you talk about empowering and problematic um, in in the same breath, right? Because if I believe that um, a certain company Mm. 
is not as great. You know, there's yes. all those companies where people say, this is the best company to yes. work for. Yes, yes, and yes. if I believe that company is not the best company to work for, yeah. I'll search that and the yes. algorithms we'll will start showing me that, that kind uh, of information. Yeah. So I start to believe that yeah. that is yes. what's true. Whether to because take a vaccine, online, right? yeah. whether or not to take a vaccine. <laughs> yes. Because that's what I'm seeing all online. Con all content, both sides will be there. Both yeah. sides will yeah. be there. But then the sides that I'm shown yes. are the sides that I'm searching for uh -huh. because of how the al algorithms get set up. That's so right. it becomes really problematic in terms of misinformation or diseducation. Yeah. Again, yeah. coming up with my own words. <laughs> we, <laughs> they work. They you, you get yeah. what I mean? So yeah. we, we get to then that space where we think something that we believe is true, 100%. even if yeah. it's not because yeah. our ideologies are, are centered, being are being informed based on what we're searching online. Yeah, yes. And then that in and itself And what people want you to also believe, right? Yeah. That's the other element is that you said it from the disinformation standpoint. There's also a, a credible uh, belief and fear about the amount of information that we're served just intentionally. Certain platforms I avoid because they push negativity more than anything else because that gets more clicks and views and else, right? <laughs> right? So they push that intentionally. So it's not about right to wrong. It's just about what can get the most engagement. And usually it's the most polarizing mm -hmm. opinions. So I think for me, one of the biggest responsibilities that lie in tech is ethics, mm -hmm. right? And, and a certain level of compliance is that we have to have enough voices in those spaces, coding those algorithms, where everyone's got a say versus small groups of people mm. that can get out of control very quickly. And that's happened. It's happened in yeah. elections. It's happened with economies. It's mm. happened with companies. Um, so I think um, it's something that we have to be very mindful and, and, and take hold of is that just because it's there and it's accessible and so convenient doesn't mean it's the be-all, end-all gospel, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's true. And I like that you mentioned that because as you were talking, I was reminded of the click scandal for example that we had in south africa yeah. where hair like mine or african hair when you google you know great hair yeah you find this blonde straight straight hair and yeah. then you'd say untidy hair yeah. and then you find my hair right. or afro hair yes. and you're like what do you mean that's yeah. untidy and you'll find that even in local companies like yeah. clicks and that's why there was such a huge uprising yeah. meaning that there's a huge opportunity for african entrepreneurs to use tech to own our narratives as Afri africans and what it means to be african yeah. and our story because from my travels around the world People don't know who we are yeah, or what we're about. Yeah. And it's such misinformation that's there because so, when I stand there like, oh, you're so well-spoken. Well, I am African yeah. and this is how we sound. Yes. How do you expect exactly. me to sound? Yeah, No, and I think we have to own that content game, right? Is because if you travel to different parts of the world, they'll think that South Africa in particular is a war zone, right? And we got difficulties, mm -hmm. we've got challenges, there's crime, of course. But if you tell you know people they wanna travel here, they're, they're rigid, they're scared, they're terrified, because what, what why would you wanna go there? You'll die tomorrow, you'll get kidnapped, this, whatever it might be. And I think that 
what tech does and should be doing is that we should be able to push the narrative on what's correct, mm -hmm. right? And what our experience actually is. Um, and the beauty of our continent and of our people and the capabilities mm -hmm. thereof. And that's what I'm super passionate about is that let's tell those stories, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're doing with this platform is that it's super important to get that out there and show people what we're capable of because yeah. going and traveling all across the world, if you really look at it, I, I think that we're some of the most exceptional people on the planet and they recognize mm -hmm. that um, as well. So I think telling those stories is super key. Yeah. Is that something you found when you permanently moved to Africa? And Yeah, I'd say so. I think it was a motivation for coming back, right? Mm -hmm. So I lived in the U.S. for, geez, 17, 18 years, and I never felt at home, um, despite the twang, <laughs> despite the accent that's uh, remained, is that um, I, I always wanted to come back. And uh, so for me it was intentional to say like, I need to go someplace where I feel at home and I feel present. And then being here and experience and traveling um, to so many different continents and seeing so many of our experiences, you're like, you know, like we're amazing people. Like I don't have to say best practice in tech is Silicon Valley or Tel Aviv or Singapore. Uh, it's Kenya, it's South Africa, uh, it's parts of Zimbabwe. Like there's so many elements that, um, um, that we can celebrate and localize. And I think, Seeing it and being in it and knowing so many different people on the continent has informed that, right? Mm -hmm. If I stayed far removed and just in the U.S. or even just closed off here, I wouldn't have that. Yeah. Yeah. And I read parts of your book, Tech yeah. Adjacent. I can't wait to finish it. Incredible, incredible <laughs> book. And I think one of the key things that I saw in the book is about how you were trying to drive home the idea of how we can leverage tech mm -hmm. as entrepreneurs to yeah. drive growth and to drive revenue yeah. and to tell our own stories using tech. Yeah. And I'm interested to know what your viewpoint is in terms of township and rural economies yeah. from a South African perspective in which we can use that because most rural especially are yeah. not online from computers and desktop, for example, yes. it's more cell phone based. So yeah. th those nuances are really different from what the word world perspective is. Yeah, no, I think so for sure. But I think it, it speaks to what we talked about earlier about democratization, right? Is that what tech does is it opens the door for everybody. It levels the playing field for everybody. So an African child, no matter what township, no matter what rural economy, you have more access to information than Bill Clinton and George Bush did when they were president of the United States, arguably of the most powerful nation in the world. You've got more content than they do. You've got more decision-making knowledge th than they did. And I think for me, that presents an incredible opportunity. Yes, we've come from difficult challenges, from different backgrounds economically, but just having that internet connection, even if it's 20 megabytes a day, mm -hmm. there's so much power that you can have there. There's billion dollar companies that are run off of cell phone devices. Um, and now with the quality of our applications, the quality of platforms like ChatGPT, you don't need a laptop, mm. right? Uh, it was just announced last week that the new iPhone is 60% 60, 60 more expensive than a MacBook Pro, mm. right? It's crazy that if a, a cell phone is more expensive than a laptop, mm. but it's because of the capabilities, right? And the use that you can have there. So I think for me, that speaks to where we are with tech is that 
Um, the access that young kids can have, no matter where they are, is incredible. Access to information, the coding that can be done, the businesses that can be built, just with a couple of, uh, of megabytes of data, I think is exponential. Mm. Yeah. What, some, what are some of the most exciting tech trends that you've seen come out so far? Sure. Um, I think that sometimes with tech, there's a lot of, there's nothing new under the sun that happens. Uh, but I think what technology is doing is making things easier, better, different, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's what it's, it's supposed to be making constant improvements. I'm super excited about the things that are happening um, in the energy space, in the renewal energy space. Um, there's so many people just beyond like solar, but, you know, um, crafting kinetic energy. There's a young lady um, that a couple years ago, she built um, a soccer ball, right? Um, and then you kids could kick it around all day and then go plug it in. At, at home at the end of the night and all that energy would like light a lamp. She's using that same technology to build road infrastructure, speed bumps. You drive over that speed bump, it powers half the city. Um, and so that kind of technology is super exciting. Robotics, um, there's so many African entrepreneurs that are creating prosthetic limbs, um, robots connected to the human brain, like that Wakanda level technology is, you know, is actually existing. Um, so robotics, um, energy, um, and, uh, and we'll see how things go in kind of the AI space. That's mm -hmm. still early days for us on the continent, but uh, I'm glad that we're starting to have a voice in that space and not just other parts of the world. With AI and technology, it also yeah. presents so many opportunities for entrepreneurs to grow their businesses and grow the bottom line, grow profits yeah. to the point where I also want to see us at top 500 companies in yeah, the world, right? Yeah. Using a case study, how can entrepreneurs leverage technology for that kind of global growth? No, 100%. I think for me, it's even simplifying it even more, right? Um, if I think about how I create content myself as, a, as an author, as a speaker, try to do some online, uh, not as much as I should, certainly not as much as you. But uh, right now, I can use ChatGPT on a regular basis to help me create content ideas, to at least help me brainstorm, right? To say, you know, give me some thoughts about this. It helps me with my speaking. So it, it halves my research time, right? Um, I use an incredible platform for my video editing. I upload a an hour-long keynote within five, five minutes max, it spits out 64 pieces of content, right? Um, that are perfectly cut and edited, that have uh, you know all uh, of my lines there in terms of the, um, the, the, the captions. And so all of that process from just creating content, thinking about marketing, is now something that used to be an arduous task where I'd have to find a videographer, hire someone, find an editor, all of that happens literally overnight now, and, and, and it has time. And I think where entrepreneurs can kind of continue to use tech to just save time, to, 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 to save time on efficiency, all of those costs they have, and then you can use all that free time that you have to think about new ideas, right? To think about new ways to grow the platform. And I think that's the benefit of AI, right? That's the benefit of technology in its day and age. We spoke enough about access and the way we can use it to grow, but I think it's a, it's a great case in point. Ten years ago, it would have been incredibly expensive for you to broadcast this content and your message to anybody, much less now where it's pretty much free to get it to any part of the world, right? To be able to consume, to observe, to learn from you. And I think 
got to take hold of those kind of opportunities. I think right now, if I knew kind of what I had, um, and and if I if this kind of existed, you know, 15 years ago for me as an entrepreneur, I think it would have saved so many years and so much money of life. So I think we're in a, an incredible season that um, every business can become a global business. I think sometimes as entrepreneurs, as South African entrepreneurs, we can be very communal and think this is a Joburg business, it's a South African business. We don't think about even doing business in Cape Town, other parts of the continent. And I think technology saves that, right? Is that now you've got that ability. COVID expedited that. Now you can have a client anywhere in the world. You can employ people anywhere in the world. And I think all of those opportunities, I think, present that this this is the best time to be building a business mm. um, for me. And I'm, that's why I'm super excited what I see. And I see entrepreneurs start and within six months have scaled up so rapidly on things that wouldn't have been possible a couple of years ago. So for me, it's an exciting time. Um, but I think it's about using all those technologies in a clever manner, not just mm -hmm. adding and adding and adding, but saying, where can I save some time? Where can I make things a little bit more efficient? Where can I save some money? Um, and there's tools for all of that right now. Yeah. Yeah. And to be able to think bigger than Joburg, yeah. think Cape Town, yeah. continentally yeah. and globally, there needs to be a culture of innovation within the organization That's in itself it. yes. or whatever startup that you're trying to build. Yeah. Yet innovation sometimes as a startup is the last thing you think about yeah. because you're just trying to get a client, make money, yeah. have employees, pay their salaries yeah. in the month. Yeah. The next month starts again. Yeah. How do we build those cultures of, of innovation in those high impact careers yeah. and fast moving spaces and entrepreneurship yeah. that we have. I mean, I can answer the same way I tell young entrepreneurs to I tell, tell uh, C-suite executives. It's the exact same. Innovation is not about technology. Innovation is not about coding. Innovation is not about the tools that you use. Innovation is about problem solving, right? If you want a culture of innovation, empower your team, spend some time just solving problems. How can I make it easier? How can I make it faster? How can I save a little bit of money? All those incremental things anyone can do, right? And when everyone feels like that, then it's easier to say I'm an innovator versus like I need to learn how to code or I need to understand chat GPT or whatever gen AI tool. That's not what it's about. It's literally on the simplest dumbed down level. It's just like, can you solve problems? And I think once you can embed that into people, then everyone can then take hold of it and then use it to scale, right? Then you've got a team that's always looking at where can I say, where can I make this a little bit faster? How can we publish more content? How can we use our time more creatively? Then you've got a team of innovators. Then technology accelerates that. Yeah. And how do we inspire our teams in a startup environment with that's bootstrapping, yeah. not a lot of budget, yeah. meaning that you most likely in your business don't have the most driven and the most um, creative yeah. employees within your, your company. Well, the thing is for me is that I guess that environment breeds the innovation, right? Because we don't have any money, because we have to bootstrap, then you have to be creative. You don't have a choice, right? I can't buy you all the most amazing camera equipment. I can't get you that software license that you're itching for. What else can we do about that? right? What's a creative way we can take this angle, that we can use this space? You have to. That's the the, the bootstrapping. I'd argue that 
businesses that are bigger and have more budget, they actually get less creative as they go because they don't have to. We can afford everything. Oh, sure. We'll just do it. Um, yeah, we can try it. Oh, yeah, we got time. Six months to launch, no problem. Whereas entrepreneurs, like, I need this out tomorrow. <laughs> Monday, it has to be live, right? Tonight, it has to be. And then you have to be pushed to kind of think in that manner. So I think entrepreneurship is about building that culture and team of people that are believing in that vision and that are committed to saying, all right, cool, how can I move and shake? When you get into a corporate environment, you'd be so surprised about how slow it is how difficult it is. Like they say, like, how, you know, it's very difficult to turn an elephant, right? It is. So the entrepreneurial environment allows that fast moving nature. And I think attracts that kind of person. Whereas you get into a corporate environment, there's a lot of red tape. Um, there's a lot of admin. There's a lot of processes. Um, there's a lot of uh, meetings that kind of repeat and repeat and repeat months and months before any change actually happens. So I think those are some of the ways that we can recruit and excite people about the entrepreneurial space. That's yeah. for sure. So we like to end the Access Genie podcast with like a fast five. Okay. Which is five questions that you get to answer in one word or okay. a sentence. All right. So feel free. <laughs> this, is, this is an exciting part of All it. Right, we'll and I want to start just where you left off. Yeah. One advice you would give entrepreneurs who want to leverage tech for growth. Start. <laughs> Start right now. There's enough technology that exists. What are you waiting for? And the second one being, what should they watch out for? If I'm speaking to a younger me, ego, right? Because as you grow, uh, it gets more difficult to uh, not attribute that all to yourself, but instead to the team and to the clients that you have. What's that one thing you've had to unlearn? Ego again? No. <laughs> um, I think um, getting stuck in any way of thinking, right, is that life, um, you spoke to it earlier, is like you've seen my content kind of evolve and adapt. It's because life has evolved and adapted. So you have to keep learning um, and you have to keep moving. Yeah. Worst advice you've ever gotten? That you have to do one thing in life only? Um, that you can only have one profession, one career, one path. Mm. And the best <laughs> advice you've gotten? Uh, the best advice. Um, the marathon continues. Yeah, it doesn't stop. You got to keep pushing. Uh, every level of life, of business, um, yeah, it just, it, it just the, level, the levels get harder and more difficult and they change. But the marathon indeed continues, mm. so you got to keep running. And how do you push when it's so hard and you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel? Because what's the alternative? Stopping? So you just got to keep pushing. Gotta keep going. You heard it from the <laughs> horse's mouth. You have to keep moving no matter how difficult and how hard it gets. Thank you so very much for coming to our podcast today. Please make sure that you buy his book, Tech Adjacent. Uh, it's going to be just on the comment section below. Please make sure you buy it because I promise you it, is, it will 
change your life. It will change your perspective around how you run your business, how you analyze your data within your business and how you see technology playing a part in how fast your business can grow. You could be just selling BAP on the streets of Soweto. This book is going to impact you, whoever you are and wherever you are in the world. Thank you so very much for watching. Thank you. From the Cliffside Boutique Getaway, this podcast is for all entrepreneurs, leaders, and genies who are looking to learn from those who've walked the path to success. Thank you so much for your support and stay tuned to more Access Genie. New episodes drop every Monday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and of course, on YouTube. Follow us on social media and share this podcast with your friends and your family so they too can be empowered. I hope you're living with a newfound source of energy to go after that life that you want. Good luck.